Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. The title of my sermon today is, Your New Job Requires You to Work on the Sabbath. Now, you're going to go entirely the wrong direction with that until I explain that title. But we're going to talk today about the seventh day and what our duties and our obligations are about that seventh day. We're going to talk a little bit about a motif that goes along with the creation story that this is the part that I'm excited to share with you today because I think this is going to be the one that you're going to go away and say, I never heard that before. I never thought of that before. But I promise you it's going to be very biblically based. So I'm going to start off talking about the seventh day, the Sabbath. And then I'm going to go to the motif that is overlaid on the creation story. And then I'll return with point number three to finishing up on the subject matter of the Sabbath. Now when we think of the Sabbath... We think of the seventh day, we think of the day of rest. And we might be picturing rest as relaxation and reclining. We have, this, we have imposed this concept of God that when he rested, uh, we, we picture him reclining and relaxing. Taking a leisurely break from his six days of labor. And while most of us, I'm sure, would admit God doesn't get tired like we tire, we still want to think in terms of him resting because it's a great excuse for us to do the same. If God did it and he didn't need it, how much more are we entitled to resting from our labor? So that is real convenient for us to think about. Now, for centuries, it was common to think about the official rest Uh, one day of rest per week. That was just what we as people here on earth had adopted. And it was largely influenced by the regulations that God gave to the Jews in the Old Testament. And remember the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy? And you don't do any work on that day? So that influenced culture as well. But it seems like all cultures kind of embraced taking one day a break from your labors. And for a long time for the Jews, that, that was uh, the common day was the seventh day, the Sabbath day. When we got into Christianity, we were not obligated to keep Saturday or the Sabbath, but we saw the pattern of the New Testament church starting with the first day of the week when Jesus rose and they gathered together. And the Sunday, the first day of the week, became our special day to the Lord. We call it, mistakenly, our Sabbath. How many of you grew up in a home where the family observed Sunday as the day of rest and required you to be 
maybe less active. Uh, anybody grow up in a home like that? Okay. Uh, I, I uh, not only grew up in a home where we honored the, the Lord's Day as a, as a day of rest, but I visited a lot of churches when I was an evangelist that when we would go out on Sunday and have uh, a meal and then come back on Sunday afternoon, that they were keyed on this is a day of rest. We don't do anything today, except we'd go back to, in those days, to the Sunday evening service. And then I heard a lot of stories about what the, seventh, the Sabbath day, the Christian Sabbath, the, the first day of the week, meant to these people who were observing it. Oh, one lady said that they were not allowed to read what she called the funnies, the comics. You know, you, in the Sunday paper, you always get the, the big fold out of the, of the comic strip. They couldn't read that on Sunday. And there were a number of other things that people had rules and regulations about on Sunday. Now, when I was a child, I remember about four, five, six years old, and we were attending First Assembly of God, and we came home, and back then, my mom and dad said, now, today's Sunday, it's a day of rest. We're not going to do anything. The code translated was, kids, don't bother us. We're resting today. As a matter of fact, it got to one point where dad insisted we lay down and we rest on Sunday. Now, telling a, a child full of energy to lay down and rest on Sunday is just ridiculous. That child's not going to rest. Their energy is going. They're not going to rest. But mom and dad wanted rest. So everybody go to their rooms and be quiet. We're going to rest this afternoon. Rest seemed to be an important thing in those days. Inactivity. You, you realize how culture has developed uh, in the time since I was a child, that when uh, our, our culture honored the first day of the week as a special day. You didn't have many businesses open. Might be a gas station open. But uh, even when I was younger, the grocery stores were not open. Uh, the, not many restaurants were open. Uh, rarely. I mean, I've, I've evangelized in different parts of the country, even lived in Alabama, a little town in Hartsell, Alabama, that still, on Wednesday, Wednesday was considered a special church-dominated day of the week. So on Wednesday, there were no uh, Little League games or any activity scheduled on Wednesday out of honor for the church having uh, services on Wednesday night. Now talk about walking back in time this little town on Wednesday afternoon the downtown closed down about four o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday afternoon you know why because there's church tonight now where are you going to go to find a community like that anymore it's changed there's a lot of things what was what was it was it the was it the blue law that prevented some businesses from being transacted on Sundays does that even exist anymore it, maybe it applies to a few things, I don't know, but for the most part, you can go about anywhere and do about anything, buy about anything you want on a Sunday, almost. It's changed so much because we've changed our understanding of the Sabbath, or, or at least our, our behavior, our practice. Now, God rested on the seventh day. And the first shocker I'm going to throw out to you is God did not recline. He didn't relax, so to speak, and kick his feet up and say, boy, that six days wore me out. I've got to get some rest. 
And that wasn't what Moses was saying at all. It looks like what he was saying because of some of the translations we have. But it's all wrapped up in that word rest. What does it mean when he rested? And if you take that Hebrew word and you look at how it's used in other Old Testament passages, it takes on a slightly different meaning than just to recline and rest. As a matter of fact, in uh, Joshua 5.12, it tells the story of the manna ceasing. It's translated cease, but it's the same word that got translated, God rested on that seventh day. So really, the word, the word rest is not the best translation of it. God ceased from the activity of creating. It was that, that initial uh, event of bringing things into existence and giving them order and assignments he ceased from that. Now, he doesn't cease from continuing to operate it. And then another example is Job 32.1. And Job's friends are said to have ceased from answering him. Same Hebrew word. What if you translated it rest? They rested from answering him. It wouldn't make sense. But to understand cease, so maybe that's a better translation of that Hebrew word than what they chose, the King James men chose there. In Genesis 2, 1, it said God rested or ceased from his creative and organizing work. In Exodus 20, 11, when you see the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath holy, the rationale for keeping that is stated like this. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them but he rested on the seventh day therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy and we put the emphasis there on well he rested therefore we have to rest but we're missing the last part of that is he blessed the day and made it holy so they were resting of ceasing from their labors, not just because they believe God rested, he ceased from his labors, but they are refusing to work because he blessed the day and made it a holy day. So how do we make it a holy day? And I hope to maybe try and explain a little bit more of that before I'm done with this. But the word rested here that Moses uses is a different word than the one that is used in the second chapter of Genesis. Here, the word actually alludes more to finding a refreshment. God found a refreshment whenever he had finished creating. And when used in Joshua 12, 15, God promises to give Israel rest when they take the possession and settle their new land. But if you know anything about the history of Israel, when they settled into their new land, when did they rest? That was a project in the making. They didn't have any real rest just because they got into their new land. What they did have was a completion of purpose and also uh, a fulfillment, a refreshment for having uh, inherited uh, what they were supposed to inherit and having achieved their goals. So their refreshment was experiencing that for which God had purposed them. There was, there was still, coming near the land, there was still land to continue to claim. There were still wars to be fought. Not that kind of rest at all. But the fulfillment of their purpose. 
So you can also take that back to Genesis when God had a fulfillment of the purpose in finding refreshment in that. Now the significance of seven days. Moses points to the seventh day of the creation and he notes that God blessed that day and made it holy. It's on that basis that Moses says that God wants them to remember the seventh day of the week or the Sabbath and keep it holy. The way in which we would keep it holy and separate from other six days was to, one way to do it was to just don't work. We work all the other days. So if we're going to make this day holy, let's choose this day as a day not to work. That would definitely distinguish that day from the other days. I find that a little bit interesting because... Here's another thing maybe you have not thought about. And when I say that, it makes me wonder if people are responding. Say, well, Pastor, you think we're a bunch of idiots or what? Everything you say, you think we never thought about it. Well, maybe you have thought about it. But if there's one that have, has not, then you're why I'm preaching this. <laughs> All the other religions of the world made their celebrations in coordination with and in conjunction with the movement of our solar system. They would celebrate new moons and they would celebrate annual events. But it was the uniqueness of the Jewish culture that celebrated by the week. Now our solar system is not tuned to anything by the week. It's tuned to the 24 hours. We have what we call the sunrise and the sunset because of the movement of the earth. We have the changing of the calendar year because of the rotation of the earth around the sun. And those are all tuned to the solar system. But the solar system is not tuned to a week. Nothing happens in a week that we can measure. Therefore, whenever Israel was honoring God weekly, there was no chance whatsoever that their worship was to be confused with the worship of the sun or the moon or the stars or anything else. There was no other reason to celebrate this weekly other than it drew specific attention to the Creator alone. They didn't end up becoming sun worshipers or moon worshipers or star worshipers. This was a day designated and based solely on God and his creative work. So every week it celebrated God with, without any respect whatsoever to our solar system and its movement. That made it unique. God blessed it and said this should be a holy day. Now, what does the Sabbath mean to New Testament Christians? What is our biblically mandated duty for keeping the Sabbath? And I use that phrase loosely. Legalists try to follow the path of Judaism. They observe Saturday as a day of rest, free from anything resembling work. I don't know if any of you know of anybody personally who observes Saturday, the Sabbath, in the way that the Jews celebrated. I have met people throughout my life who do that. And oftentimes they follow the Jewish uh, reckoning of 
the Sabbath beginning on uh, 6 o'clock Friday evening and lasting till 6 o'clock Saturday evening, like the Jews reckoned the turning of the day. Uh, whenever it hits Friday evening, 6 o'clock, then there are certain things that they know they cannot do because they are not allowed to labor to work on the Sabbath. So you can't, for some of these people, uh, I know for a fact, they would not do laundry on the Sabbath. Would mow the lawn on the Sabbath. It dawns on me that could come in real handy as a man <laughs> to claim the prerogative and the privilege of the Sabbath day. Every day is a Sabbath. <laughs> so maybe you've met people that observe it in that way. They can't garden. They, they, they can't labor in any fashion. All these regulations and, and these laws given by Moses to the Israelites, they don't apply to the New Testament Christian. There are, let's start with the Ten Commandments. There's Ten Commandments and they're, they're uh, reiterated in the Old Testament, uh, reinforced multiple times. And you get into the New Testament and did you know that nine of the Ten Commandments are found in the New Testament? One is not. Do you know which one is not found in the New Testament? The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's never mentioned by Paul as being a command for Christians. Nine of them are because they're legitimate. But that was a ceremonial ritualistic commandment that, that, that further demonstrates to us that our legal obligation to the seventh day as a Sabbath of all these legal regulations and requirements that if you think that you're you're bound by what the Jews are bound by that it's it's if you want to even make Sunday your Sabbath and say well I can't do any work on Sunday because the Bible says I can't you're mistaken we are not under that obligation as a matter of fact biblically uh, Paul talks about the, the various moon, new moons and the Sabbaths and some people esteem one day greater than another day and some esteem all days the same but he, what he was doing is saying is we're no longer under this obligation that there's one specific day that like the Jews we are bound to that day and we're going to be severely punished if we uh, have an infraction on the laws and the rules of that day. So we, we don't have that. We're not legally bound by that. But having said all that, we, we don't want to disregard the pattern that God set in the creation narrative that we should live by a weekly cycle. Aren't you glad we get at least one day of rest a week? That's a good one. And the, even though we take the word rest in a little more literal sense than what uh, God actually did, we cease from our labors one day, or we try to. And we live by this weekly cycle, realizing we need that, uh, our human bodies need that for refreshment. But we are not told in Scripture how to honor the day as holy. And the Jews were not told specifically what to do on the Sabbath. Everything about the Sabbath, they were told what not to do. This is the Sabbath day. This is holy. Don't do this and this and this and this and this. Well, what can I do? I don't know, but don't do those. And as New Testament Christians, I think we have a responsibility to recognize, honor God with one special day a week minimum, 
and hold that day as holy. But we're not told in the New Testament what we do on that holy day because then it would become very legalistic if we would say, well, this is what we have to do on this day to keep it holy. And we don't want to be legalistic either. So what do we do? And probably we're more inclined to think of things that we will not do on the Sabbath to make it holy to the Lord. So if we take Genesis 2-3 seriously, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, we should have no struggle giving special honor to God on that special day. See, the, the busy world competes for our time and our attention. But we should be seriously committed to honoring one day as holy to the Lord. Here's where I'm going to leave you dangling. My question is, do you honor the one day as holy to the Lord? I hope you say, I do. Now my question is, what is it you do that makes that a set-apart day, a holy day? You, maybe you've come up with something on your own that you've decided Maybe some of you have decided that if this is the Lord's day, this is the holy day. Not only am I going, not going to try and do some of the household chores I usually do, but I'm just going to try and squeeze that in for the other days. Or maybe that's a day when you're going to have more family time than you ever have. And it's really important to have family time, isn't it? Or maybe that's a day when you said we're just going to leave the TV off and we're going to talk. We're going to put our smartphones down and we're going to talk. This is, this is a special day. We're going to make this a special, a holy day. We're going to separate this from all the others. This is the challenge I'm throwing out to you. How do you make that our Sabbath, that one special day, a holy day? And I think you ought to let the Holy Spirit work with you on that until you figure out what it really means when you can walk away from your first day or your seventh day or your Sabbath day, whatever it is, what it is and you can say, I really do believe I honored God with that day. If, if you make it the same day as other seven days a week, I don't think you're making the Lord's day a special day. Now let God work on that in your heart and see what you come up with. And then if you come up with a good plan, I want to hear it. But not till I'm done preaching. Now the, the second thing I'm going to talk about before I end up again on the subject matter of the Sabbath is that motif that overlays the whole creation story. This is another one of those that I hope that I succeed in you being forced to say, wow, I never thought about that before. Or some of you may say, well, that, the buildup was too big. <laughs> it was not near as, as good as you made it out to be, Pastor. <laughs> The whole creation story speaks of God building something. The first point I'm going to make is he built it for him. We commonly read this in, in the, uh, uh, per, with the perception that he built it for us. But when I get done, I think you'll agree God built it for his own pleasure. We get to enjoy it. That's the side benefits of it. But he built it for his own purpose and his own pleasure. And when we read the creation account, it'd be easy and tempting to conclude because of all the things that God said that we could enjoy, that it was just all for us. But we miss this vitally important truth if we think of it that way. I want to show you how the creation of the universe ties into the temple motif. First of all, that common scripture most of you have heard, 
Isaiah 66, 1, gives us a revelation about what God was actually doing when he was creating the cosmos or the universe. And God declares at this point, this should be an eye-opener. How many times have you read this and this has not been revealed to you? This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where's the house you will build for me? Where will be my resting place? Now the temple is now called a resting place. Once again, don't think of kicking your feet up and relaxing. It's that fulfillment. It's that uh, sense of, a, of a accomplishment. It's that respite from, from everything else into the temple duty. Settling in, like the Jews settled into the promised land. Settling into their function and their purpose. And God says, so you're going to build me a resting place? Not that they put a bed in there for God. But it would be that place where he would dwell. And God, looking at the Jews who were spiritually separated from him, they were a mess. They were a spiritual mess. Finally woke up one day and decided, you know what we need to do? We need to build a temple for God. All he's got is this ratty, ragged tabernacle that we drug all over the wilderness. He needs a nice temple somewhere. And God laughs. And he says, you're going to build me a temple. He said, I already built my temple. Heaven is my throne. Earth is is my footstool. The universe is my temple. And you're going to throw a few rocks together and call it my resting place? It's nothing compared to the temple I have already built. So now I have revealed to you the temple motive. What God was doing when he created the universe, he built himself a temple, which he calls here the resting place, which is why Moses said on the seventh day he rested because his resting place was completed. The temple was complete and God entered into his temple. Now look at the parallels as you now see the temple motif overlaying the creation. Look at the parallels in scripture. God rested or took his position as the sovereign ruler over all things by entering into his temple, the universe that he created. And the unique word that Moses chose for lights on day four is the same word that is used throughout the rest of the Pentateuch referring to the lampstands in the tabernacle. They just happen to be the same word. Why? Because the lights that God created were being tied into the lights that were in the tabernacle. Then we see the parallels in the rivers that flow from Eden to the rivers that flow from the temple in Ezekiel's temple when you see that vision. Once again, the temple motif is connected. And then we see Adam and Eve are given directions to care for the garden. They're warned about the limits in the garden. Now, here you are in the garden, but don't eat of the tree. That's the limits. Now, you know what the limits were in the temple? The Holy of Holies. You're welcome to be in the temple, but you don't go in there. You go in there, you die if you're unworthy. The Holy of Holies. There has to be a, a limited a restriction in there. Only the priests who were qualified 
If you're unqualified, there was death. So you see the limits that are also parallel between the creation and the temple. And looking at the language that was used when the temple, when the tabernacle was completed, the tabernacle, as a composite reading from various scriptures, Exodus 39, 43, 39, 32, 40, 33, 39, 43. It's in my notes if you want it. You can get it on the website. We, here's the language that is used. Moses saw the work in the creation. God saw the work. And all that the people did and the work that God did. And Moses completed the work and God completed the work. And Moses blessed the people and their efforts. And God blessed the day and his own efforts and called it a holy day. So you see the language of completing that temple was almost like Moses was speaking like the creator spoke when he created all things. And then here's an interesting one in, in Exodus 40:34, It says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, in 1 Kings 8.11, it says the glory of the Lord filled the temple. But lo and behold, Isaiah 6.3 says that the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Because it's his temple. So this should give us a new perspective on our presence here on earth. We are now in God's house. Here we are. West Side Assembly of God, we're in God's house. When you walk out that door, you're still in his house. And heaven is his throne. We're just down here at the footstool. Men build temples to give God a dwelling place. But God built the universe as his dwelling place. And he's amused by our efforts we separate the church as God's house from the universe as God's house. It's real convenient because there's certain things you don't do in God's house. But I want to go with that. There's just certain things you don't do in God's house. And I don't care where you go. There's certain things you don't do in God's house. This world this universe is God's house keep it in mind it's a holy world it's a holy place there's certain things you don't do in God's house my question is where are you going to go that you're not in his house my final point I go back to the Sabbath God worked on six for six days and he rested from his labors on the seventh or he entered in to the fulfillment of his labors. He worked to provide that temple where he could set up his headquarters. And metaphorically, we are also now laboring to enter that time of rest. If you'll let me word, use the word rest. I read Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short. We have the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed enter that rest just as God said. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Some of them don't get to go. 
And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day with these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So he prepared a a day of rest, but he said certain people don't get it. You don't get to enter the rest. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of the disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. And this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken them to them later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. How many of you are the people of God today? The writer just said there remains a Sabbath day of rest for you. If any, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest so that no one will perish by following their own example of disobedience. That is a phenomenal passage of scripture on describing our Sabbath but not Sunday and not Saturday but that for which we all labor every day that we live. And once again, it's so tempting for us to start thinking about rest as finally, when we get to the other side, we get to relax. We get to rest. Because, folks, I'm beat. I'm tired. And that sounds so good to me. To think when I get over there, I'm just going to rest. Now, I don't want a recliner. Don't give me a recliner. I hate recliners. They don't fit my body. They hurt my back. I don't want a recliner. Don't give me a hammock. I don't want a hammock. I've tried those. Puts my body in the shape of a C. I don't like hammocks. I'm picturing lounging by that river of life that just flows so nice. Maybe a fishing pole, but I might not want to be bothered with a bite. Sounds like work. And pluck a piece of fruit from the trees of life. And eat fruit and watch the water go by. I just can't wait to get there. But it ain't going to happen. Because we're not going to go there and rest and relax. We're going to go there and work. Now, I might get people who are taking their name off the next train. (laughs) Forget it, Pastor. I was looking forward to finally resting. But you understand, when you are finally doing God's will, and the curse of this world is lifted from you, that the labor is rest. Adam could have worked in that garden 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and never been worn out because he didn't have all of the negative elements battling against him. Just tending to God's work would have been rest 
and refreshment and fulfillment. The reason we get tired is because we're under a curse. And our body is wearing out. And the elements work against us. Adam could have labored in the garden forever and never toiled and sweated. He could have grown things. That, but, but when the curse came, it was going to be by the toil uh, uh, and the sweat of his brow that he would dig in the hardened, stubborn earth and plant things that the insects got before he got it. That the famine and the weather conditions would ruin his crop. But it was an uphill battle for the rest of the time because the curse was now the nemesis. And that's why we're tired. We're living in the curse. But when we get to our Sabbath, your new job is going to require you to work on the Sabbath. In the Sabbath. Working forever for God. We are to labor right now to enter that rest. Heaven's not the eternal vacation from duties. It's just the eternal rescue from earthly duties. And troubles. And trials. And difficulties. We won't have any fatigue. We won't have any burnout. I, I just envision being able to work and never get tired. I envision being able to work and never get bored. I envision being able to work and actually enjoy it. Somebody one time said, and you've heard it, if, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. And when you take great joy in what you do and you never get tired of doing it, it's a labor of love. That's what heaven is all about. Entering our rest means being eternally employed by God for his eternal purpose. And we'll be kings, we'll be priests in God's kingdom. And we'll reign with him forever and that's what it means to enter into that rest. So in a sense, it'll be rest because our eternal work with God will not be confronted by combative earthly elements that we face here on earth. We labor to enter into that rest, that perfect world. I get a new job. As much as I love my people, and I'm so glad you all are going to lay your load down before you get over there. I am so happy you're going to do that. And neither one of us are going to have to carry it anymore. Laboring to enter in to that rest. Would you bow your heads?